So um, Titus is one of the one of the one of the group because of his faith in Christ, because of his trust in Christ. As we're reading in chapter three, we've been talking about false uh, leaders. We've been talking about people that are distracting the ministry. And Paul writes to Titus saying, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Notice the word remind there that appears in that text. It's, it's just a way of telling us that things in the church, the things dealing with the truths of Scripture, the doctrines of Scripture, many of us know these things already. We are familiar with them, but we need to be reminded of these things. I have to remind myself. I, am, I really am forgetful. And uh, so I, when I do my quiet time in the morning, which uh, this morning I did not do it because of the pressure of getting things ready and other things, but I did you know, did some study, but I didn't do the quiet time that I like to do. But at this point, it's important that we remind ourselves every day of the truths of Scripture and to study the Scriptures and the basic their basics. <clears throat> and they're very important. So he tells he tells Titus to be reminded, remind these these people to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. We've already gone over these things. In other words, that this is the kind of thing you are to be involved in. These things should be character characteristic of your life, uh, not to be maligning anyone, be peaceful, etc. Verse three, which is the verse that we have been studying for the last four or five weeks. But we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hating, hateful and hating one another. Now this, this is, um, I think is really an important thing that we are doing here. And that is that we are looking back, we're re reminding ourselves of what we were like before. That's that is a common practice by Paul and others. Paul has said, in, for example, the church at Ephesus, and we looked at this before, but he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins when you formerly walked according to the course of this world. He's pointing out to them, you were like this. This is what you were like. Um, and he goes on to say, you were indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath. This is... These are characteristics of our former life. I think this is um, is a good good practice from time to time. I, I'm thinking, for example, one of the illustrations I enjoy is the example of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, where Nebuchadnezzar just, I don't know the circumstances of Daniel 4, but I think, as I picture in my mind, one Saturday morning, he got up and he decided he wanted to give a testimony of what God had done in his life. And he starts that by calling in the scribes that he uses to, 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 to communicate and to keep the library records and things. And he begins to give his first person testimony to the scribes. And what he talks about is what his life was like, what went on in his life, the, the point of conversion and the difference that it's made in his life. And so I think it's important to look back. Think of the testimony, for example, that Jonah might have with succeeding generations of talking about how 
the Lord had changed his life because he actually ran, even as a believer, he ran from God and from the, from the call of the Lord. And the Lord has made a big change in his life. Paul talked about that, that he was not to fit to be called an apostle because his life was a life that was aimed in a self-centered way. And so this is important. And so as, as we read in verse three, and we're going to still be in this verse, uh, we read for we also once were, and then we started to look. And so this is, this is a description of what we were like. Once we were foolish, that word has to do with being um, lacking understanding, being unintelligible, not getting a, a grasp of things, being unwise. Um, that characterizes life before salvation. Remember that Paul says in First Corinthians that the natural man does not, cannot, will not grasp the things of the spirit. Now we, we of course, we, we think we can understand things. We think we can grasp things. We can perceive things and we're, we're mentally capable of handling a lot of things. But what he's saying there is that we are spiritually dead and that we, we do not have the ability or the life or the inclination or the will to really trust and embrace the things of Christ and the things of God, <clears throat> that it takes a point in which we are regenerate. We have the spirit of God opening our hearts and our lives to these things. And so Paul is uh, reminding Titus here that this is something that we were once uh, like. It wasn't that we didn't have the, the gray material to be able to understand these things, but that uh, these are things that are outside the process of our spiritual life to be able to to embrace because we were spiritually dead. And uh, I can give testimony that many times I sat, I don't know how many times, but I'm sure there were a number of times that I sat under the gospel, sound of the gospel, even on television sometimes, listening to Billy Graham on Sunday night, and I didn't really try to listen to him a lot, but he would be on sometimes, and you hear the message invitation and Billy Graham gave a, a good clear presentation <clears throat> and the invitation was the gospel invitation was clear and yet I refused to listen I didn't want to have anything to do with it at that time it wasn't that I was blaspheming the Lord and saying I just hate you it was that I had other things I wanted to do and uh, that's kind of we were looking at that this morning in John's gospel where John says that judgment has come into the world, that men, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Light is Jesus. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. It doesn't necessarily mean that all their deeds are seeded with wicked, evil desires. It means their deeds are self-centered. They're on their own private party, their own private goal, their own private will. They want their will. Uh, Jesus talked about that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that and the other? And he will say, depart from me, you who work lawlessness or lawless ones. That is, you're a law to yourself. You do your own thing. You're not interested in me and you, you are outside that realm. You're those that I do not know. That's a serious statement. It's one to be, to, to get our attention. So first of all, uh, he says that we once were uh, and he uses the word foolish. Uh, we once were 
unable to respond to the Lord, to uh, embrace him, uh, to trust him as we should. Disobedient is the next word, which means we just were refusing to obey, neglecting to obey, to refusing to conform or comply. Again, we know what that's like. I'm sure every one of us in this room, maybe we still, I still struggle with that sometimes. I still do this day, the things that I want to do and I want to put, have my will, my will first. Yeah, how's that? And uh, that's wrong. I know that's sin. I know that. You know it too. And yet uh, we find that we struggle with that. And uh, hopefully there is a progression in which we struggle with that less and less and surrender more and more because he is the Lord. And uh, that's what it means, that he is the boss. And we surrender to him. So we don't want to be disobedient. Um, we, we don't want to be living just for our own will and our own purpose, our own pleasure and our own happiness. We want to be in surrender to him. And we want to do it every day. And I think that uh, one of the personal testimony now, one of the things, one of the keys for joy in my life is if I can meet the Lord every day and, and let him confront me every day. And I'll tell you, there's times when I, when I, and I don't mean to be using myself as a testimony all the time, but the times when I get up and I don't want to pray. And I, and I don't know if you've noticed that, but I've noticed that in the morning, uh, my emotional makeup is different from the night before. The night before, I may be um, from cloud nine, taking a lot of things, playing a lot of things, doing a lot of things. But in the morning, there's a kind of a sobriety that that faces me. And sometimes I'm some, somewhat, uh, when I first get bitter, don't want to pray. I'm not saying you, I'm saying me. And uh, But um, <clears throat> I have I've learned that those are the times you need to just take the time to bow your head and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word to your life and then read it, digest it, and pray through it sometimes and let the Lord work. And he will. He, he, he always gives joy. And it, it, I don't mean necessarily a magic zap. I don't mean that. But I mean that as you do that and you go by today, there is a joy there. And there's a purpose there. And that's a good thing. Uh, it's not just here. And I've had, I have had customers comment on that at seven o'clock in the morning about am I del deliberately trying to be joyful? And I just tell them, no, what, what is it? Well, it's just that, that I try to spend time with the Lord and obey him. And uh, I do try to deliberately obey him sometimes. And he gives joy. He gives joy. He really does. That's joy is the flag that flies from the residence of the person where Jesus is Lord. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very obvious thing. So disobedient is another one. Deceived is a third one that we were like, we were deceived. That uh, may be a little bit sort of like the first one we're, we're talking about being foolish, uh, but deceived means to cause someone, and I like this, cause someone to wander away or wander astray uh, I think of, I always think of Galatians 6, 7, and 8 when I think of deceived, where Paul says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, this and this alone he will also reap. He sows to the flesh, or from the flesh, or death, and he sows to the spirit, or from the spirit, life. To sow means what you put in your life, what you plant 
what you use your time for, what you put in your mind and stuff like that. And uh, that verse starts out by saying, be not deceived. What it means by saying, be not deceived is don't be led astray. Don't wander away from the fact that uh, what you put in your life, you're going to read. And um, I've wrestled with that verse a lot because it is true that we want, we think that we can put self-centered living, worldly living, which we all like. That's what the Bible says, love not the world, because that's our natural inclination. These things that are in our lives, we like those things. We want to seek those things, but we want to seek them while at the same time reaping a harvest of spiritual life. And this verse is saying you can't do that. Don't be deceived. You're going to reap the harvest of what you plant in your life. You're going to reap the harvest of what you sow in your life. You can't go out and sow one kind of seed and expect to reap the harvest of something different. You can't do that. And that's a lesson for us all. It's a special lesson. And so here it says, be not deceived. Uh, there are two scripts that talks about alternatives in life, like two destinations, heaven or hell, two choices between right or wrong, a truth or error, light or darkness, wisdom or foolishness, self-centered living or living for God. Lots of choices. Don't be deceived. What you put your focus in, where you plant your, your focus is what you're going to reap. And uh, so that's an important important thing to remember. Then he talks about, uh, and we looked at this the other day, being enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. And uh, we don't think of our lives as that of being enslavement. Uh, that's the word that's used to be enslaved, which means you're the property of somebody else. And yet the Bible does clear, clearly teach us that uh, if we are living in sin, we're enslaved to it. It is our master. And uh, we may profess, and I'm sure we would profess if we were talking to ourselves, we may profess that we're not slaves to something. Uh, we want to do this because we want to do it. But that fact that we want to do it means that we are serving the master of our self-centered desires, our self-centered goals, and we are slaves to those things. And there's only two types of enslavement, either enslavement to, the, to ourself and our passions, our lusts, or enslavement to the Lord. That's why the Lord says, be not um, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. No one loves the world, and the love for the Father is not in him. The love that God has given you to love him is not there. So it's either one or the other. And uh, that's a struggle. It's a struggle with me. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to myself for this because this is something I struggle with as well. So be not enslaved. Don't be in bondage to sin. Um, don't let sin be a master over you. Don't let it rule over you. Um, it wants to. Don't let it do it. Don't let the lust control your life or whatever. The next word, and this is we'll slow down here, is the word malice. This is um, the one that describes us um, as being uh, passing our time in uh, evil things. We, it, it speaks of the passing of time. Actually, the, the uh, verse there says, spending our life in malice and envy. And uh, so it's, it's speaking there in that verse of the passing of time of spending um and even uh what we invest in 
uh, what we it's spoken of time meaning to bring something to pass um, and uh, to spend our life to use our time malice is evil malice is a moral sense in a moral sense of wickedness of heart of life of character so we don't want to spend our time we don't want to pass over our time in a way that is that is morally depraved or wicked um, we don't want our lives to be involved in these kinds of things the word is used to speak if you remember in acts chapter 8 there was this guy by the name of simon we call him simon magus or simon the magician and he was a, a an influential religious leader in that culture there very powerful man and had a lot of influence with people in the sense that they they were impressed with his his ability to to trick people or to make people think he was very important he was able to, to gain a lot of following that way but he came he heard the gospel and it says he believed the gospel he was brought into the fellowship he was baptized he was accepted into the fellowship but then when philip and some of the apostles came uh and and i think peter was involved in that he came and preached the holy spirit came and fell on the people and they began to give evidence of, of the new birth of the spirit of god coming and proving that it's the gospel of christ that makes a difference and he was so impressed with that that he took Peter aside and he said, listen, I'll give you a lot of money if you will give me this ability to speak to people and they receive the Holy Spirit. I can sell, he, he saw this as a, a way of making a lot of money. Peter said, your money's gonna perish with you. And he pointed out that this guy who had been in the church, who believed, who was baptized and all kinds of things was not really a genuine believer. And that, that uh, phrase there, that has to do uh, in, in Simon Magus, and it talks about uh, in Acts 8, 22, when it talks about him, it says, therefore, Peter says, therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if it be possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. The word wickedness is the same word of malice that we are translating in our text. So it just means uh, when he says you were uh, spending your time in malice, he's saying you were spending your time in wickedness. You're spending your time in self-centered things. In the in the case of that word applying to Simon Magus, he was using it to use the gospel and other things to make a profit. He wanted to do that. He wanted to, to make a big showing and wanted to put himself, he wanted to be very important. He wanted to put himself on a pedestal, to be exalted, um, and to have that influence to be bring some profit to him. And uh, I don't think the gospel, in fact, I know the gospel is not against making a profit, but it does warn us against making a profit as being the motivation for life. But that's not the main motivation. We do need to pay our bills. We do want to make a profit. We all, I'm sure, would like to make more money. Uh, but sometimes the money owns us rather than us owning the money. And sometimes the desire for more money, the desire to make more money can control us and cause, uh, Peter, Paul talked about that, that it causes us to have many foolish and harmful lusts <clears throat> damaging to our, our Christian life. So <clears throat> malice, Peter uses the word malice, therefore, in First Peter 2, is therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 
like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So malice, along with other descriptive terms of wickedness, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander are to be put aside. And uh, it is something that we can deal with. And that's what he's saying there. So that's, that, is, um, that is one of the things that characterizes so often our lives. We are we're depraved creatures. And until the Lord and the gospel begins to get hold of our lives and turn us around, we are pretty wicked. We're in bad shape. And God's mercy and God's grace needs to work, and which it does. And I guess you know we've talked about this before. I guess we realize that the gospel, when a person embraces, really embraces the gospel, that is really the, the biggest demonstrable miracle that we have today. It's the effect of the gospel because it turns the heart around. The heart is, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And uh, man can't know the heart, uh, but God does. And he shows us the heart through the word. It, it, it gives us the thoughts and the intents of the heart the word does. And so we can know the heart by the power of the word and the gospel can change the heart. That's why the gospel is the power of God unto deliverance. It is very, very powerful and able to change the heart. You can't change it. Going through a New Year's resolution won't change it. Uh, making all kinds of strong declarations or going through all kinds of 12-step uh, programs won't change it, but the gospel can. If you embrace the Lord and put him and take him, trust him and really do that, he begins that process of giving you a new heart. Therefore, the new man being Christ is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The next word in that list of malice is the word envy, spending our life in malice and envy. Um, envy, is, it, it is wanting what somebody else is or what somebody else has. But one definition that I thought was interesting said that it can be painful. Envy can be painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another connected with a passion to possess the same advantage. And so uh, here we have um, in, in this context here, believers who now instead of wanting to encourage one another, and he gets into that in a minute when he talks about hating one another, Instead of encouraging one another and praying for one another, we are wanting what someone else has. We're wanting that for ourselves. We're wanting that, that recognition, perhaps. Or uh, we are wanting that uh, home or that property or that income or that prestige or that recognition or that whatever it is. And we are desiring those things. We're getting our eyes off the Savior. I appreciate what my son said this morning <coughs> about Jesus being the issue. And it definitely is. That's definitely the case. There's nothing, nothing really more important for us and for our Christian life and Christian walk than for our hearts and lives to focus. And I think deliberately is a good word to add to that. Deliberately and intentionally focus on Jesus Christ. And the reason I say deliberately is really quite frankly because it doesn't seem to do it very well by itself. There's just a lot of distractions in my life that that uh, get my attention and want, want to divert my focus, and my passion, and my zeal, 
and my energies and my resources and my time uh, and my effort from Christ to other things, to self and self-centered things. The self is is the idol that is easy to to put first. You know that uh, everything we do, we kind of do it to a large degree for self, for self glory, for self comfort, maybe even to satisfy a guilty conscience or whatever. Uh, and so it really, I think it takes effort. That's what we're saying. It takes effort to really focus on who the Lord is and what we want and when you read verses, deliberately look at the words of the verse and pick out the words that are key words and maybe even have a dictionary to look what they look them up and kind of add some dynamic to the verse. Not so that you can become swell headed, but so that you can apply those things to your life and I can apply those things to my life. My life needs it, needs it badly and your sister. So we need to take it. We need to take that seriously. So the word malice there. Uh, has to do with evil in a moral, they're doing away with moral and evil in a moral sense, wickedness, um, and so on and so forth. And then the word envy has to do with wanting what somebody else has, which can lead to being morally evil and wicked and stuff like that. Um, and to it, it does be, it has the idea of being dissatisfied with our present condition. I think of that. I have a particular a friend that from time to time contacts me and asks for prayer for different things. And this particular person, whom most of you don't know, um, is a, a, they're just very dissatisfied. Everything is a complaint, uh, it seems like. And um, I, I've often thought of the children of Israel, who were one of the big sins in their walk with the Lord, who's grumbling. Why do you think the Lord included that in there? Because they did grumble, but that we can learn from the example of these other people so that we don't repeat that because we really have a lot to be thankful for. We are really blessed. We are above all people. We are real rich and we, we are steeped in, in massive, massive blessings. I'm, I'm aware of that all the time, of, of, uh, or at least most of the time, of God's goodness to me. And it is bounded to me. And um, sometimes I'm more aware of other times, like, for example, if I'm home and we have a big rainstorm and there's thunder and lightning and stuff out there, I'm very thankful that the house doesn't leak. I'm very thankful for that. Or sometimes in the wintertime, it gets down to the single digits. I have two kerosene heaters and uh, another heater that, and I'm very thankful for a warm, you know, see what I'm saying, a warm place to stay. And that, that, if the electricity go off or the kerosene heaters were to die out, that you'd have to really bundle up and that could be life threatening. So I'm very thankful because God takes care of us and he's good to us. And uh, I really appreciate that. Also appreciate my kiddies, by the way. They're, they're an important part of my, my family. And uh, they're, whenever I come in and I'm changing or going to go outside, leave, they're there to let me know that they would rather I not go. And they're very sweet. Uh, and I love them very much. Then the next word is hateful. It means to be full of hostility, hostility, aversion, uh, maybe an extreme dislike or disgust toward others. Again, we need to, to display God's love and God's mercy to other people. 
you have to remember that. I try to remember that. There are, I run into people sometimes that not necessarily to look at or to necessarily talk to, you might think are not necessarily lovable people. I've seen people that were uh, in such what seems to be unattractive circumstances that I've actually prayed for them just as I look at them, I just prayed for them. But God loves them. And he doesn't love me more. And I don't have an advantage of having some appearance or some kind of physical advantage or something that makes me mental or whatever makes me more lovable to God. God is the Lord is the one that placed me here. Everything I have and everything you have come from him. And uh, so the advantage, the only advantage is that we can pray for people. And uh, I think that's an important thing to do that. And not only pray, but to seek to be an avenue, a venue to reach out to people. Because people need the Lord, as the song says. And we are, we are the, the witness that's there before them right now. And so we want to be a good witness and do that. And I say that. <clears throat> Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that because I'm a good witness. I'm saying that because it's the right thing to do. And we need to do it. We need to take advantage of those things. So anyway, hateful, <clears throat> we don't want us to despise somebody or anything, and uh, we don't want to stand in somebody else's way before the Lord. We want to be there as a witness to and an attractive instrument. You see, you see what I'm saying? That's really important. And then the last one, and we'll be done with this, this section here, is uh, the little phrase, hating one another, which just carries this whole thing from hating people and being hostility into the church. Uh, we don't want to have a selfish spirit uh, that turns on the fellowship of the believers. But we, where the Bible is, is filled, the New Testament is filled with references to the one another's in the church. And uh, that's just, we are a family. Uh, we are members of one another. We're in this together. We are to encourage one another. We are to forgive one another. We are to help one another. Um, we are to love one another. We just, there's so many of those one another's in the scriptures. Uh, perhaps we'll do a study of those sometimes because it's a very rich study, but we are together in the family. This is, this is God's family. We are part of his family. We are members of one another. And members means that we support each other. We are, all of us are important. It doesn't mean that I'm more important than you or you're more important than I am or that we, somebody over here is more important than somebody else. We're all members and every part of the body is to function according to God's plan. And um, this may be a bad illustration, but uh, I'm, I think frequently of Nick Saban when he talks about his football team in Alabama. And I'm, I'm not just using this as an illustration to say something about it. I do like the team, but um, he has said on many occasions that he stresses the importance that everybody do their job. He said, if everybody is doing their job and they're really trying, you'll do well. But that's the, the point is, it's easy to get in there with a team and then let somebody else kind of fill in the gap or somebody else to take up the slack and lay down on your job. And when you do that, the whole team suffers. And that's true of the church. The church is made up of members. And Paul talks about that. And I can't say to the foot, I have no need of you, and so on and so forth. We're all members of the same body. We're all important. And that we are to function together. And if we are hating one another, or if we have selfish spirit toward one another, 
um, then we have we have undercut this this bond of love that should exist in the church. Remember, Paul specifically talked about marking out those who cause divisions among you and avoid them. Just stay away from them. Don't 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 put yourself into a close fellowship with people that cause divisions. Leave them alone. Um, hopefully, they may be brought when you ignore them, when you avoid them, when they can see that you're not the buddy buddies that they want, they may come and say, what's the problem? And you say, well, the scripture tells us just to avoid those who cause divisions. And I know that you're divisive and I just don't want to be tied into that. Well, that can make somebody listen. It can, it can be a real testimony. So the point is he's saying, hate one, hating one another. Don't cause divisions. Don't cause strife in the body, but be a source of love to encourage one another, support one another. So <clears throat> back to our verse. Let me read the verse and then we'll be done with that. And we've done a couple of minutes earlier. Paul says, first of all, to remind, this is reflecting back, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. That's reminding these people that you're talking with to be like this, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Why? Because you remember what you were like. We were once also foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And next time we'll come back and we'll focus on verse four which introduces the salvation that God has provided in Christ. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly, richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we will be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's a good verse. It's one of the verses that we use in Grace Church in DE to talk about the fact that we're saved not by our works, but by God's grace and God's mercy. So, but we'll, we'll do that next time. Any thoughts or comments before I close in prayer? All right, let's close in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for the gospel, for the power of the gospel, the effect of the gospel, the change that it has made in our lives. And thank you for the challenge that your word brings to us. It spares no punches when it talks about the wickedness and the sinfulness of our lives. And it really hits home. I pray that you'll help us not to dodge those blows, but to allow them to bring about the needed reform, the needed conviction, the needed reformation in our lives. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for working in my life. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness. I pray that you'll help us not to tread on your grace, not to be casual about the greatness of the salvation that you have provided. Help us to be serious. I just pray for each person here that your 
your spirit would work full time in our lives and help us as a people, as a family, as a body, to be involved intimately in helping each other, encouraging each other, forgiving each other um, in the Christian life and supporting each other because we are a body. We really are a body. We really are made up of members and each member has unique aspects and we really are called by you to be interacting with each other to help us to do that and help us to do that in a way that honors you. And I thank you for this time. I thank you for this word. I ask your blessing upon this week. And I pray in Jesus' name, thanksgiving. Amen.